We are returning to the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount picks up again now. We're in chapter 6 of Matthew. In chapter 6 of Matthew, returning now to the Sermon on the Mount. Scripture is found in verse 19, 20, and 21. The Lord says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. There's an interesting little literary wrinkle in that very first phrase where it says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Literally, that says, do not treasure up for yourselves treasures on earth. The same word is used in its verbal form and in its nominative form. Do not treasure your treasures on earth. The assumption is you have treasures on earth. You have them. They mean a lot to you. The treasure is that which you value, that which you've placed your affection upon, that which you think is important. There's a sense in which we all, you've heard me say time and again from this pulpit over the last 15 years, that we live and die by our belief system. We also prosper or wane by our value system. What do we put value upon? What do we treasure? What is the nearest to our heart? What is the thing we must have? You see, you can see right away there's an element of worship in the treasure. And the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is to get our eyes lifted from that which is earthly, temporal, material, mundane, and passing away to that which is celestial, heavenly, eternal, spiritual, that passes not away. That's not an easy thing to do because we live on this plane. We live here on this earth. And everything around us is very easy to see. We perceive, we observe, we live, we swim in it. It's hard to get ourselves to look beyond those things, which are very real, which are temporal and earthly and material, but are passing away and move our gaze and then our thoughts and our minds and eventually our worship to that which is eternal, godly, heavenly. And that's really another indication of how much the Lord wants us to turn our eyes toward heaven and things of heaven, eternal things, really spiritual things. And that's really part of the quest. That's part of why God has given us the soul that we enjoy. 
mere animal, and we're animal 100% through and through. Anybody that's been to a biology class anywhere in this country in the last 50 years is convinced that man is animal. Sadly, I think we've been taught man is merely animal. He's merely made to live on this terrestrial ball that we call earth. We've now gotten to the point where we so much are focused upon living on this terrestrial ball known as earth, and we're beginning to see some folks are starting to worship the earth. And before you know it, the things of the earth, the climate and all the rest, have become the object of their passion. They're reordering all of life, making laws, regulations, economic decisions, all of life is being regulated because of this treasuring we have, not only of things on earth, but the earth itself. And I'm telling you, if there's any perspective that will correct that, it's the perspective of Scripture. Scripture will tell us to take our eyes off the things of this world and put them on God and the things of heaven and the things of eternity. The world is passing away. The world is passing away, but the things of the Lord endure. The word of the Lord endures forever. The will of God is sure and will be accomplished throughout all eternity. We have a sure word to look to when we're looking to the things of God. And so that's what this particular passage is, is trying to get us to do, to devote ourselves to God, to devote ourselves to God exclusively to devote ourselves to God entirely. In fact, we have commandments in the Old Testament to that regard. To devote ourselves exclusively to God is to have no other gods before us, before God. Have no other gods before God. The true God, the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of creation, the God of revelation, the God of providence, the God of justice and righteousness, and devotion to God entirely. That is, our whole mind, our whole soul, our whole body, our strength, all that we have within us is entirely devoted to God. This, this is an ordering and a reordering of a perspective that gives us a new value system. And that's really what we're looking to do. The Lord himself applies this passage in, in a few ways. And one of them we read rather easily over in the Gospel of Luke when he talks about not putting our attention on the things of this earth, where moth, that's all of our clothing, all of our fabric, everything we can think of of that ilk, is eaten up and destroyed. Where rust, oxidation will decay metals, and even our own human bodies eventually, the processes of, of the physical world are tending to run down and to go from complex to simple. There's a breaking down, there's an atrophy in the earth and in the things of the earth. And interestingly enough, don't put your treasure and your affections and your devotion upon things that thieves can steal. It's interesting, the word here says break in where thieves break in and steal. It actually means to dig out. So it's the notion of burying treasure. 
In the ancient world, they would bury treasures in clay homes, adobe tile homes. They would have them down in the walls. They would have them buried deep under the floor. They would put them out in the fields that they owned. Generationally, one generation after another would have fields that they would keep and they'd be handed down and they would bury treasure there. But every one of those places are accessible to a real ambitious thief with a good set of tools and they can be stolen. In fact, even if you put things into instruments that you think it cannot be stolen from you, take money, good hard cash, and put it in the bank, and it's safe, except for inflation. Who are the thieves that dig into and steal that which we treasure? These are the things that the Lord is admonishing us to now think in terms of the heavenly. And listen to one of the passages, and I'm going to give you three or four brief passages of Scripture that sort of apply this particular portion of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I'm not going to belabor each point, but each point's very important. In fact, one of my struggles was, should I just pick one of these and ride with it, or should I tell you all two or three or four of them, ever how many we get to. But here's the first one that comes from Christ himself. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Remember, the Lord's talked a lot about the kingdom, and he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added into you. He says in verse 33 of uh, chapter 12 of Luke, sell your possessions and give to the needy. There's a good investment of your treasure for all eternity. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. And then Jesus gives the exact same thought that he had delivered on the Sermon on the Mount. He delivers it again, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's really a matter of devotion. You need to ask yourself here early in this year, we don't know what 23 is going to bring. My goodness, I remember waking up and feeling just as happy as you could possibly be in January of 2020. We took a little vacation, you know, down to the hill country and all sorts of good things were happening and I had everything. And then what happened? You all remember your life's not been the same, has it? That's what, that's what focus on this, this time and this earthly existence will do for us. It'll give us a real roller coaster ride. But the Lord has called us now to shift our attention. And here the Lord uses the application of giving to the needy. Throughout the Bible, way back in the book of Job, in the book of Proverbs, in the law, and all through the Old Testament, there's admonition to watch for those that need something. Food, daily bread, the needy, the truly needy. And look after them. Provide. Find a way to help. It's really, according to the book of Proverbs, making an investment in eternity, in heaven when you do that. Another application of this verse is found in the book of James. It's similar, but let's look to James chapter 5. James 5, come now you rich. This passage out of James, one passage out of Paul that we'll look at next. 
cover very similar ground, but listen to the language that James, the bishop of Jerusalem, the, the brother of Jesus, tells us. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. What an interesting and poetic way to put it. You're about to find yourself in a place of real distress if you don't do what you need to do with your resources. For the miseries that are coming upon you, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have eroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like the fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. In other words, you've put your treasure in the treasures of this earth and you've become miserly greedy. You've even come to the point where you're willing to defraud. You have placed your affection upon things below. And this is what's happening to you. Behold, the wages of your laborers have mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. What have you done, you rich? By the way, most everybody in this room would be considered rich by global standards but even then you know who you are and the question is what have you done well you have taken your laborers your employees those that provide the productivity of your particular product or service and you have shorted them wages while they make a wage that may be competitive it may be a normal wage. It may even be a living wage in the sense of, of uh, sustainability or survival. But it's not what you could have afforded to pay them. And you take the margin, and you take the profit, and you take the residual, and you wouldn't believe the house you live in compared to the house they live in. Each of you put in a 40-hour work week. But look what you've got. Where did it come from? Could not a measure, a portion, according to your conscience, have been arranged to where it found itself into the pockets of those that work in your fields and labor in your vineyards and harvest your fields? Why is there such a large wage and earnings gap in this country? Oh, don't talk to me about economics. I'm a conservative. In fact, I am a believer in the old Austrian school of economics, those of you that know what I'm talking about, von Mises and others. And I understand supply and demand, and I understand capitalism. I believe in it. I love it. I think it's all about it. I've had known and operated my own business for over 20 years. But there's a way to work the margins that makes the ephod small and the shekel great. In other words, the amount of goods and services that are delivered, the ephod, the bushel basket, shrinks a little. And the shekel increases. That is a devaluation. That is fraudulent. And I don't care who does it. I don't care if it's you in your company or whether it's the federal government in its monetary policy. To have fewer goods chasing more dollars is inflation. And the only people that benefit from inflation are large capital debtors. They borrow good money and they pay back with cheap money. 
and the largest capital debtor on the globe is the federal government of the United States. Every incentive to eat away your treasure. So this sin, this abomination in the sight of God of making the ephod small and the shekel great is true of individuals, it's true of companies and corporations, it's true of municipalities, and it's true of governments. God the righteous judge really gets irritated often in Scripture when the poor are robbed, when the oppressed are cast down, when the widows and the orphans are deprived. That's why God goes to the very heart of the matter and tells his people to look after those people that are oppressed, the poor, the needy, those that have had no leverage in the market. And all they can do is take what they're given. They've got to work, they've got to eat, so they take a job at a low wage. And meanwhile, an employer builds another garage, buys another home, drives a more expensive car, and sends his kid to another school. The Bible's got, his, got our numbered. The Lord knows us, doesn't he? He knows what our heart is. It's a tendency to do that with our treasure rather than invest and lay it up in treasures above. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You thought I made that up, didn't you? No, here it is right in the scriptures. What's luxury and self-indulgence? If that's not houses and lands and home and travel and, and clothing and jewelry and all the finer things of life, I don't know what it is. Stuff that moths and rust can take care of for the most part, given a little bit of time. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Well, that's James. You ready for Paul? You turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 5, the epistle. This is this matter of our value system. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. That's it. It's not so much negative, don't do this. It is what we need to do, we need to focus and put our hopes on, the, on God who provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. And here's the essence of the whole thing. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And what is truly life but Christ himself? He is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure that was buried, that the man sold everything he had and bought the field in order to have the buried treasure that is Christ. This is a reordering of our viewpoint. And then in just a couple of minutes I have left, I'd like to look at one more passage that'll really do us a lot of good on this idea of perspective. And here... We need to be listening to the voice of the Apostle Paul as he speaks to the Ephesian church. And he's telling us about this perspective that we are to seek things that are above the treasures in heaven, to treasure the treasures of heaven, the things of God. We are to set our mind on things that are above. And this involves two acts on our part, two things that we need to do as we leave here this morning. We need to put off some things and we need to put on 
some things. Hear now the Apostle Paul's admonition in this very rich paragraph in this letter to the Colossians. If you have been raised with Christ, and that's what we claim, that's what we believe in resurrection. We've been born again. We've been given new life. We've been raised to walk in newness of life. We believers, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. That's the focus is Christ. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Listen to this. This is our conclusion, our admonition this morning. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in your sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, but when you were living in them, but now you must put off, put away all anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. You know, I'd be happy if that's all we did, was to get rid of the obscene talk that's in our mouth. I've never heard so many Christians use so many nasty, vulgar words in all my life, including guys in the pulpit now. And I'm getting a little tired of it. I think we need a maturity a little bit beyond that. I think we ought to move beyond the cutesy cussing and stand up for what's right and speak with a pure speech. In fact, that's one of the signs of the new covenant is that God would give us a pure speech, a new speech. And it's time for Christians to learn to talk right, not like the godless world around us with the vulgarities and the obscenities, even the euphemisms for the vulgarities and the obscenities. We need to I got carried away, didn't I? <laughs> Obscene talk from your mouth. Put it off. Put it away. Do not lie to one another. That means prevarications, the mendacity that makes little white lies seem right. That's what this is talking about. Put it away. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. That's the whole thing. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. That's who we are as believers. And put on your new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator, being more and more like God, like Christ, who is the true image of God. Then put on then as God's chosen ones. By the way, that chose, that word chosen, it's just the word election. Don't worry about it. As God's chosen ones, holy and blessed, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, Sounds like the fruit of the Spirit. Sounds like the kind of character that's going to live on a new heaven and a new earth one of these days. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then he goes on to talk about a lot of wonderful things. We're out of time, but that's enough. Don't we need a, an update an upgrade, a change, a modification at least of our value system. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is.